What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement, Amron. And I wish I had some intriguing hook to draw you guys into this video, but it's the middle of August and I got some sleepers I want to share with you guys. So we're going to talk about my top 15 must-have sleepers for the 2022 season. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to get right down to business. So if you enjoyed the video at any point, make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like. Let's go. All right, now we have 15 sleepers to get into. Now, I want to get it out of the way. We don't need to dig insanely deep into these late round flyers. I tried to keep it to three to five notes on every player, and we're going to treat sleepers as any player going outside the top 120 picks of ADP or the top 10 rounds. And the first player we're going to talk about right off the top is Darrell Henderson, who's going as the 1103 as the RB40 on Underdog. By the way, Underdog, huge friend, huge sponsor of the channel. If you're not checking them out already, make sure you do so. On Underdog Fantasy, make sure you hop on there. Use promo code RON. I'll have a link down below in the description, a link down below in the comments. You click the link, it'll put the promo code in, and then from there, they will match your deposit up to $100. On Underdog, you can go out there, play their WrestleMania 3 contest, where there's two million dollars going to first place millions of dollars in overall prizes i want to say there's a million going to the regular season winner as well a lot of really cool stuff going on on underdog and we talked about it in the last two videos but the adp on underdog is extremely sharp compared to your home leagues the best way to go out there and prepare for your home leagues is to hop on underdog and get a feel for their adp whether that's in a tournament or just in a casual three to five dollar sit and go just getting a feel for the environment of what a sharp room feels like so you go down into your home league, and you absolutely dominate. Now, when we talk about Darrell Henderson, off the top here, he is my second highest owned running back at this point. Now, first highest owned running back might be Ronald Jones, but we're gonna we'll put that to the side. We'll you know we'll try to sleep at night with my Ronald Jones exposure. I will say I am tapering off my Ronald Jones addiction, not drafting him as much anymore. But to me, Henderson going in the eleventh round. <clears throat> is probably wrong. He should probably be in that mix of that round 9 to 10 tier of Cordell Patterson, Damian Harris, Rashad Penny, Kenneth Walker. But instead, he's in that next tier where he's with rookies like Rashad White, Isaiah Spiller, Damian Pierce. And in that range, he's an absolute smash because we have a guy who paid off last year and is going at a similar price as he was last year and he's in an even better situation than he was last year. Because last year, Akers was this budding second-year talent. And then, of course, he tears his ACL. Henderson flies up draft boards. But before that, he was going in this 11th, 12th round area as well. And this year, instead of a young, budding Cam Akers who was going at that 1-2 turn, we have a Cam Akers who's going at the 4-5 turn, coming off an Achilles injury. And at this point, as much as I love Akers, I loved him as a prospect. I would have loved him last year if he stayed healthy. We're heading into year three. And we don't have a true breakout yet. We have a couple of 20-carry games where we saw in the playoffs last year. Them really, they really fed him. They saw his rookie year. We really saw them feed him as well. But we're yet to see a true breakout or true mind-blowing efficiency from him. It's just been volume. But we know that McVay uses whoever his lead back is as a bell cow. We saw that last year. Akers, Henderson, Tony Michelle, they all had their own little stints of being the main bell cow on the Rams. Now, if Akers goes out there and he's inefficient like he was in the playoffs, or he re-injures his Achilles, Henderson would be a top 12 running back in that role where if McVay shifted things to Henderson, he becomes the bell cow. Again, 
high-powered offense. He was the RB13 last year before his Week 10 injury in that same role. So we have a guy who is a stud, uh, stud handcuff. And then we also have him drawing live to just work in a committee where McVay doesn't usually have committees, but with the Akers injury, it would make some sense. You also get the benefit of the idea that Darrell Henderson can work in on passing downs, and you only have Kyron Williams and Jake Funk behind Darrell Henderson. So there's not a lot of competition for that RB2 spot or even that RB3 spot, which means the minute Akers goes down, it's going to be the Darrell Henderson show. And I think that Akers is more likely to go down or get benched than your average running back just because of the Achilles and because we haven't seen him truly break out and be a really good running back. Like as much as I love Cam Akers and I love his upside, there's a chance that he's not that great. And he himself is kind of like a Darrell Henderson where he shouldn't really be a bell cow out the NFL level. Now, the next guy we'll talk about here is Justin Fields. And this is my safety lever this year. At the 11-10 is a QB 16, where when I'm drafting quarterbacks, I want the elite tier of QBs. So Mahomes, Kyler, Lamar, Josh Allen, Herbert. I think those are the five. And then I like Jalen Hurts, and then I like Trey Lance, and I think some other guys are okay too. But if I miss out on everything, Justin Fields is that last resort where it's like, okay, we, we screwed this up. We need to get that some kind of upside streaming QB in there. And I think Fields is perfect for that. And I'm actually sort of excited for this offense as much as I am annoyed by the front office who hasn't given Justin Fields any weapons. They draft Velas Jones in the NFL draft. They don't take any of the good wide receivers from this draft class. Like they could have gone out there and gotten Pickens. They could have gone out there and got a Wandale Robinson, a Sky Moore. But instead, they get Velas Jones. And we now have like Equinemia St. Brown playing in two wide receiver sets. But that's not really what I want to talk about here. The reason I'm excited is because I think from a scheme perspective, so perspective, so not GM uh, transactions, decisions, all that. But I think from a coaching standpoint, they're actually pretty exciting this year. We had Matt Nagy the last, what, I think like two, three years, four years, who's been absolutely awful. Anemic offense. It kind of reminds me, I wouldn't say as bad as Adam Gase, but somebody like that where they're just like super stubborn and their offense isn't efficient. Like last year, he had Justin Fields as his quarterback and he refused to design any run plays for him, wanted Andy Dalton to succeed. It was just a really weird relationship, but it does feel like this new coaching staff is coming in here. They're buying into Justin Fields and you have Luke Getze coming in who was the offensive coordinator for Mississippi State in 2018 and then the passing game coordinator for the Packers from 2019 to 2021. He's going to bring in some LaFleur, McVay, Shanahan-type schemes for this offense. We're going to get a lot more modern offensive playbook, which we really like. And then we also have one year where he was the offensive coordinator at Mississippi State in 2018, where he had a mobile quarterback in Nick Fitzgerald out of Mississippi State who led the team in rushing with 1,100 rushing yards that year. And we already have seen a spot where this offensive coordinator has experience with a rushing quarterback. It wouldn't shock me at all to see Justin Fields be more catered to in this offense, where as Matt Nagy almost, Matt Nagy almost tried to shoehorn Justin Fields into the same exact offense that he was running with Andy Dalton, which we know isn't the move, right? The same thing that happened with Lamar Jackson, right, where they had Joe Flacco before him, and then Lamar came in, and they completely changed the offense. I think that we're drawing live for that kind of shift here where we can see more designed quarterback runs, quarterback powers, read options, RPOs, a lot of really fun stuff if Luke Getze is any kind of bright spot, uh, bright spot at offensive coordinator. Now, 
the reason we like Fields is because Konami code upside. When we talk about those top six, seven, eight uh, quarterbacks that I like, Lance runs, Hertz runs, Lamar runs, Kyler runs, Justin Fields also runs. He had a 100-yard rushing game versus San Francisco last year. He had three games over 20 points. He has really high weekly upside. And Justin Fields, I think, just as a whole, has a lot of upside just because he was a really strong prospect coming out. Now, I know this is a chart that only really comes out on this channel during dynasty season, but I think that it, it is applicable to Justin Fields because he's only in year two. So prospect profile still matters for a year two player. And I have a prospecting database, right? It's a prospect model and you can come out with your prospect here as a quarterback, elite gold, silver, bronze. Justin Fields is elite, which I believe hits uh, top 12 quarterback seasons 75% of the time. And then he also fits the Konami code QB archetype in my database, which means that he hits my highest rushing thresholds in college, which is really strong because rushing in the NFL, as much as it is physical, right? Justin Fields ran a 4-4. It's really tendency more than it is athleticism. If you look at Andrew Luck and Cam Newton, they had the same 40 times, but Cam Newton is, of course, Cam Newton. And Andrew Luck wasn't a complete pocket passer, but he wasn't going to go out there and rush for 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns like a Lamar or a Cam Newton. So, Fields fits into this bucket of elite prospect and Konami code rushing quarterback. And this is an elite tier to be in because if we look at every elite Konami code QB in my database, this is, this is, this is the entire list. So you have guys, Mahomes, Newton, Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Robert Griffin, Kyler Murray, Marcus Mariota. If we take out Justin Fields and Trey Lance, which I think is fair to, they're only heading into year two. We have a sample of nine quarterbacks. The only one to not hit a top 12 season is Tim Tebow. The only three, so we have eight out of nine hitting a top 12 season. We have six out of nine of them hitting a top five season. Only Kyler Murray hasn't had a top five season yet, but I believe that that, that actually might be wrong. So <laughs> chill on that for a second, but I think, uh, I think Kyler Murray did have a top five season. But like I said, him just being in this bucket is really good. Marcus Mariota, his second year, had a top 12 season without even being an elite passer or anything. Remember those offenses where Derrick Henry wasn't even the starter? I think he was throwing to like Delaney Walker and a young Corey Davis. Maybe even like a Tajay Sharp was on that team. He didn't really have a ton to work with, but he got there on rushing upside alone. So even if you don't think that Justin Fields is going to be a good quarterback, it wouldn't shock me at all if you had a Marcus Mariota type top 12 season in year two where he just gets there on rushing and maybe like low 20s passing touchdowns. That'll get him there just based off what we knew what we know from konami code upside but he also has upside for more than that we see all the time year two jumps in talent we saw it with lamar we saw it with mahomes we saw it with carson wentz jared goff i love lance but at this point with trey lance the cat's pretty much out of the bag where trey lance is this known commodity as a breakout quarterback candidate he's going now in like the sixth seventh round of drafts i truly do think if you want that next lamar mahomes type breakout my bet would be on Lance, but again, he's not going outside the top 10 rounds. I think of all the quarterbacks going outside the top 10 rounds, my bet would be on Justin Fields to have that monster breakout type season. You have to remember as well, with Lamar's like big MVP type season, I'm not saying that Fields is going to be MVP, but he had Mark Andrews, and then after that, he had a banged up Marquise Brown, and then he was throwing to like Willie Sneed and Miles Boykin and stuff. As much as Fields lacks weapons, I do think that Mooney, Cole Komet, like David Montgomery, Khalil Herbert... I think it's enough. Maybe they go out there and sign a Will Fuller or something we can hope, but I think that he has enough of a supporting cast and he has enough rushing upside to get to where we want him to be. Next up, we're going to talk about George Pickens. 
going off the board at the 1203 is the wide receiver 61. And it's sad to see that the hype is really growing on Pickens where he's tearing things up in training camp. You see him bobble the catch, catch it with one hand. Preseason had that really cool toe tap touchdown. So he's skyrocketing up boards right now. But I will say, I don't think 12th round wide receiver 61 is high enough. I got to say, George Pickens as a round two type guy, as much as we got burned on Ronda Moore and Terrace Marshall last year, I will say Elijah Moore was fine. You had those three second round wide receivers all get pushed up into like the round nine to 10 area. I think that's where Pickens should be. So there is still some value. As you guys can see, I've been scooping them up 19.1%. Those red numbers on all of these player cards, that's my ownership across like 200 plus drafts on underdog. And with George Pickens, his situation isn't amazing, right? I think that's like a pretty light way of saying it. His quarterbacks are Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky, and he's sharing targets, routes with Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Pat Fryermuth. It's a stacked receiving room, and the quarterback play isn't amazing. But Mike Clay has this team to project projected for only six wins. They're projected to pass the ball a lot, 11th most pass attempts. And they might have to throw more than people expect, even though their defense is pretty good. And we've also seen in this wide receiver room, we've seen players emerge in crowded wide receiver rooms. And I hate like drawing all the way back to like the Antonio Browns and Emmanuel Sanders. But if, even if you think back to those days of like Mike Wallace, Antonio Brown, Emmanuel Sanders, who are the other guys like Martavis Bryant's of the world, a lot of these guys were just in stacked wide receiver rooms, just come out of nowhere and have a, a fine rookie season. Even with Chase Claypool, his rookie year, he was out there with Juju was there. You had uh, Deontay Johnson. I want to say you even had like Eric Ebron. So even in a crowded room, I really do think that talent wins out. And this team has sort of shown that they're, I'm not going to say that the Steelers are amazing at drafting wide receivers, but they have a, a good track record and they have a track record of wide receivers playing and looking good early on. So I think he's a fine bet to make. George Pickens is also a, really fun prospect where he's this pure perimeter X wide receiver, which is a really high upside archetype. He was 21 years old, early declare, which is huge. We want guys who are super young going into the NFL early. And he feels really similar in terms of his archetype as a player as like a T Higgins, which is like a high a dot perimeter wide receiver. It's really just going to come down to if the quarterbacks can connect with him on those routes. And if he can just have any kind of efficiency early on, you also have, uh, you know, he has outs where he's almost a, a wide receiver handcuff where it's pretty rare in the NFL or just in fantasy football to have wide receivers with contingent value. But if Claypool or Deontay Johnson were to go down and Pickens was out there in two wide receiver sets, you're winning on that bet. Also, if he beats out Claypool for two wide receiver sets, I don't think that he's likely to, but there has been some buzz on that where maybe he is the, the guy in two wide receiver sets. I'd say 80% chance that he's not, but there's still some upside there, even outside of just talent. Next guy we'll talk about, Kenneth Gainwell. He's going at the 12.04 as the RB45, and we want pieces of this offense. I've been talking all offseason about the Eagles. They're going to pass more. They came out against the Jets. I know that they're the Jets, and I know it's a preseason game, but they came out on their first drive, their only drive with the starters. They passed eight straight times and scored a touchdown. This is not a team that is going to run the ball at a top-five rate like some people are projecting. I know they did last year. They didn't start the season that way. They brought in A.J. Brown for a reason. I think this team is going to be this high octane high scoring team like a top five a top 10 type offense and Kenneth Gainwell is a really fun profile where I love them coming out of school again he's a second year player so I do think it's relevant to bring this up and he is my second highest graded so you guys see the RS grade right that is my uh prospect grade from my model 
and it spits out a number out of 10, and then from there you get put in a prospect tier. These are the only day three silvers, and of those day three silvers, Kenny, Kenny Gainwell is my second highest graded day three running back in my entire database between guys like Jordan Howard, Devonta Freeman, and Jay Ajayi. For day three running backs, that's as good as a list as you can be included in. And on top of that, he has one of the best receiving grades across all of them. Only him and Jaquiz Rogers have an A- minus in receiving grade. He can catch passes. He has juice. Even though he's 5'8", 200 pounds, he's drawing live to even see some goal line work as reported by the beat reporters in Philly, where this was a good report that Jared Smuller sort of sniffed out here and said, Kenny Gainwell seems pencil seems to be penciled in for high leverage situations like third downs, the hurry up offense and goal line work. And that's really exciting because with running backs, with guys like Swift and Kamara, those are all the valuable touches. Give us the high value touches where we get passing down work in long down and distance and two minute drill snaps. And then we also get goal line work. And again, even though Kenny Gainwell is kind of small at 5'8", 200 pounds, he did rush for like 1,500 yards one season in college, even on the same team with Antonio Gibson. He rushed for like 1,500 yards, caught like 50-plus passes, over 2,000 yards from scrimmage. Insane season on Memphis. If you ever had a chance to check out that box score, it's crazy, especially when you take into account that he was out there with Antonio Gibson and he looked better than him, even though he was younger. It's really impressive. Now, again... Even though he's smaller, he actually looked good last year on goal line carries. Now, I don't think that goal line success is super sticky, but for what it's worth, he saw eight carries inside the 10 last year. He scored on four of them. So 50% conversion rate is pretty dang good. Now, this is a guy who we can project for the passing downs, the two-minute drill, going to mix in on the goal line. He's going to mix in as a change of pace back. And I think 12th round is just way too low on Gainwell, where... Miles Sanders is kind of in this touch squeeze. He's not going to be the main receiving back. He's going to get the bulk of the carries, but I would rather have Gainwell's, or I'm not saying I'm going to rather have Gainwell, but I'd rather have Gainwell's role and then have him mix in uh, between the 20s. It seems like Miles Sanders is going to get all the low-value touches, which I think right now Miles Sanders is like a 7-8 round guy and Kenneth Gainwell is like a round 12 guy. They should probably be almost back-to-back as like round 9 to 10 picks, kind of like uh, Penny and Walker. But as of right now, I love the discount we're getting on Gainwell. I think that drum beat is only going to get louder as the season goes on. Then we have Pat Fryermuth, who is going off the board at the 1206 uh, as a tight end 14. And he's a similar idea to what we just talked about with Justin Fields, where if I miss on a top five tight end, or I also like Hawkinson, those are sort of my only targets. I think Fryermuth is one of my favorite guys, just outside of the top 10 rounds, you're getting him in the 12th round that you can just grab, grab somebody else later and have two streaming tight ends. And I'm honestly shocked that the market isn't higher on Fryermuth, where he looked good last year. He was a tight end 16 in points per game. He had 60 catches for 497 yards and seven touchdowns as a rookie, which is insane. He also put up those kind of numbers without being a full-time player either. He was only in a route on 50% of his snaps. With Ebron gone, he should be like a 70% plus guy in like the top 10. I think that his role is going to expand here with Ebron gone. He flashed a talent. He also has an outside chance that we were talking about earlier in the offseason where I love Claypool because I think he's going to be out there on two wide receiver sets. And then on three wide receiver sets, he's going to kick inside as the big slot and do his thing with yak and efficiency and everything. Now, there's an outside chance that Fryermuth actually sees a lot of big slot snaps. I don't think that he'll be out there in like three wide receiver sets, but kind of like a almost like a Gasecki where he's not playing so much in line, but he's kicking out as a big slot. 
he's drawing live for that. I don't think he's going to be the main slot guy, but I think it's an interesting wrinkle that his usage could get a little bit of a, uh, of a twist here in the slot in some high leverage type situations. Now, the next guy we'll talk about going into 1208 is the wide receiver 64 is Jahan Dotson. And this is a guy that I didn't even like in Dynasty. I don't like him as a prospect in Dynasty. He grades out as a silver in the RS grading system, which is really bad for a first rounder. You're talking about guys like Nelson Aguilar and Philip Dorsett. But in redraft, I approach things a little bit differently. The risk isn't as much where you're talking about the risk of a rookie first round draft pick in Dynasty versus a 12th round redraft pick where it's just one year. I have no problem making that investment. He feels a lot like these disrespected or disrespected first round wide receivers like Kadarius Tony last year, who I know didn't really uh, like pan out as much as we wanted him to, but he was still fine. And then I the year before him. I think that we are a little bit too sure in ourselves as uh, like prospect evaluators or whatever. And again, in dynasty, when the, the opportunity costs a little bit higher with a first round pick in a rookie draft, fine. But we're talking 12th round ADP and redraft. I'll take that all day long. And this is a good quote from the most recent preseason game with Jahan Dotson. These are great blurbs by Nathan Jonke. I might be absolutely butchering his name, but I think it's Nathan Jonke or Nathan Jank. Uh, I think both of those got to be wrong. But he's at PFF. He does great work. And he said this, The commander spent the 16th overall pick on Dotson and wasted no time starting him. He was thought to be more of a slot wide receiver, but he was lining up on the outside more often than not Saturday with Curtis Samuel in the slot. Most importantly, Dotson was on the field in two wide receiver sets, meaning he should rarely leave the field. Early first-round wide receivers are making an impact in their rookie seasons more often than not, making Dotson a great player to take a risk on. And that's huge. This means that he's already at wide receiver two on the depth chart. He's going to be running routes. He's going to be seeing targets as soon as day one, as soon as week one. And in a one-year window when we're shooting for upside in the 12th round, I'm very much in on Dotson, regardless of situation or prospect profile, he was drafted in the first round of the NFL draft at this price point <clears throat> and where he's at on the depth chart. That's good enough for me. Now, the next guy we'll talk about here is Khalil Herbert, who is going off the board at the 1308 as the RB 49. And I love Khalil Herbert. I think there's a genuine chance that this is a committee in Chicago. And I think the days of 80% plus opportunity shares for David Montgomery is over. That's kind of been his, his, only real utility in fantasy David Montgomery is he's been really inefficient, but he gets bell cow usage, like 80% plus opportunity share in the modern NFL. You don't see that a ton. I think those days are over. And we talked about Justin Fields, but I think Luke Getze coming to this offense is going to really shake up how things look like in Chicago, because he's coming from Green Bay, where we have Aaron Jones, who's one of the most talented running backs in the NFL. They refuse to use him as a bell cow on that team. And I think they're going to do the same thing with David Montgomery. I don't think they're going to give him an 80% opportunity share. They're also installing outside zone, which plays the Khalil Herbert strengths more than David Montgomery. And there's even a chance that Khalil Herbert is just a better running back than David Montgomery. I get that David Montgomery, we now have what? He's been a starter for like three years in the NFL, four years in the NFL. He looks good in missed tackles forced, but he's always been this guy who is a plotter and he'll make people miss, but he'll make like four guys miss and gain three yards on the play. That's kind of what he's been his entire career. If we look at just last year, Herbert was sixth in PFF rush grade. David Montgomery was 35th. He beat David Montgomery in, Cole Herbert beat David Montgomery in breakaway run percentage, yards of contact per attempt, rushing yards over expected per attempt. Every efficiency metric, Cole Herbert looked better. Now you can say what you want about small samples and does efficiency even matter, but I think that it is important when we think 
a new regime is coming in, I don't think they're just going to treat Dave Montgomery the same way that they've been treating him the last four years. So I think Khalil Herbert is drawing live for a standalone role in a committee with David Montgomery. And he's also a great handcuff where we're drafting in the 13th round. We're really looking for handcuffs at this point anyways. David Montgomery gets hurt. He already showed last year in his three starts as a rookie with David Montgomery not active. He had a 15.4 point per game in his three starts, which is perfect. That's what we're looking for from handcuffs. 15 points per game gets the job done every time. After that, we'll talk about KJ Hamler, who we actually talked about on my... What was it? We talked about on my wide receiver four stacking video, and he's really skyrocketed in ADP since then. He has gained 40 picks of ADP since the Tim Patrick injury, and I still don't think that it's enough. He's only going at the 1309 as the wide receiver 69. Nice, of course, but he goes from a rotational wide receiver four, like situational wide receiver four, to playing in all three wide receiver sets, which is massive. And KJ Hamler has a really fun profile where. He is almost a Tyler Lockett clone, which is really fun for his connection to Russell Wilson. Now, I don't buy into that kind of stuff completely where Russell Wilson's going to come in and like just proclaim somebody his next Tyler Lockett. But on paper, Hamler looks extremely similar. He has 427 speed. He's 5'11", 178. That's like almost identical to what Lockett looks like. And I think Russ is going to connect on some absolute bombs with KJ Hamler this year. Now, in redraft managed leagues, he might be tough to start here and there, but I think he will be like a fringe wide receiver three. You're getting that wide receiver. I don't even know. Wide receiver 69. I don't even know what that is. What is that? Wide receiver six prices. So, yeah, I think he should be realistically closer to like the Jarvis Landry, Kenny Galladay, Rondell Moore area, which is like fringe wide receiver four, wide receiver three type guys. I think he's going too late. Again, this is a guy that's going to play a lot of routes, get a decent chunk of targets on a really fun offense. That's going to be in shootouts all the time with the Raiders, the Chiefs, the Chargers. K.J. Hamler has moved up 40 picks since the Tim Patrick injury, but I do not think that it has moved up enough. Now, the ninth sleeper on this list, Wandale Robinson. He's going up the board at the 1407 as the wide receiver 74. And we already have some really positive news on Wandale Robinson from his preseason game that happened, I believe it was Thursday or Friday. I think it was Thursday. But... This is another blurb from Nathan Jonke where he said the Giants didn't have Kadarius Tony or Sterling Shepard in this game, but there was still reason for optimism for Robinson. He played every snap with the first team in three wide receiver sets, and he even took a snap in the base offense. The longer Shepard is out, the more entrenched Robinson becomes as a slot wide receiver. The alternative for New York would have been to play Darius Slayton on the outside across from Kenny Galladay with Colin Johnson in the slot. Robinson's playing time ended with Daniel Jones' time did. While Slayton and Johnson continued playing with the second team, this means the five foot eight slot receivers ahead of both Slayton and Johnson on the depth chart. So when we talk about preseason, this is something else good to sort of talk about. I don't take a ton of stock from like players looking good and like scoring touchdowns in the preseason. We kind of got burned on that last year with Terrace Marshall. He looked amazing in the preseason. So I don't really care about guys making plays in the preseason, but I care about stuff like this where we get information on what the depth chart is shaking out like. And as of right now, it seems like Wondell Robinson is going to be the wide receiver three on this depth chart as the main slot wide receiver, which is exciting. And when we talk about him as a prospect, he is a really fun profile. I feel like I've said fun prospect, fun profile a million times here, but this is why I love these sleepers. A lot of these guys are really fun. And he's knocked for his 5'8", 179 pound frame, but Outside of that, he was a fine prospect. Second round draft capital, 21 years old, early declare, produced all three years, produced all three years of sight moving from 
Nebraska, which was a really low-volume, disgusting passing offense, goes to Kentucky, balls out on the SEC at his size. He has really fun comps where this is my database, right, and it spits out player comps for each prospect. And Wanda Robinson is best comparable, according to my database, to Deshaun Jackson, Golden Tate, Christian Kirk, K.J. Hamler. Now, obviously, K.J. Hamler and Christian Kirk – uh, not as fun upside guys as Tate and Jackson, but again, just kind of shows the full spectrum of what we're looking at here with Wandell Robinson and what his upside looks like. I'm just excited for this Giants offense as a whole, where we already have Brian Dable doing fun things like lining up Wandell Robinson at running back in practice with Saquon Barkley in the slot. I just want pieces of this Giants offense because I do, as much as I hate coaching narratives, I do genuinely trust Brian Dable with my most prized fantasy possessions. I think that he is that good at drawing up offenses and using his players correctly. Now, on this same Giants team, we're going to talk about Daniel Jones here, who goes off the board as the 1409, as the QB 21, and he is my safety lever for my safety lever, where if I miss on Justin Fields or I need a guy to pair with Justin Fields as like my two streaming quarterbacks, I love Daniel Jones right here. And these are two really good tweets by Josh Larkey. I would call him sort of a friend of the program. He's somebody that uh, I've known for a long time on Twitter. And these are two really good tweets that he had sort of outlining his weekly upside where he said, over the past three seasons, Matthew Stafford and Daniel Jones each have exactly six games with 25 or more fantasy points. Matthew Stafford with 41 has played in more games during this period than Daniel Jones with 38. Mobility continues to be criminally underrated in fantasy football. So again, in terms of those high boom spike weeks at quarterback he is giving you something that can match somebody like a Matthew Stafford or just something that pocket quarterback statute quarterbacks can't really replicate even with a Daniel Jones who isn't even a fraction as good at the game as Matthew Stafford then you also have this tweet from May 19th that I like too where he said Daniel Jones had 95 rushing yards in week two which we love as a Konami guy 402 passing yards in week four was the QB six in per game fantasy scoring through week four then he got concussed in week five and had some other issues where, like, Mike Glennon came in, and I think Jake Fromm even started a game or two. And now this team put in Wondell Robinson. They bring in Brian Dable to completely revamp the offense where you're finally going to have a more modern offense that's going to put the quarterback in position to succeed much more than Jason Garrett ever has. You also get Wondell Robinson. You get, like, I guess you can kind of say, like, Kenny Galladay sort of buying back in, healthy Saquon. You get a... Kadarius Tony heading into year two, just a lot of stuff to get really excited by. Now, I will say the dark side of the Danny Dime, just an awful joke there, but the dark side of Daniel Jones is that he could get benched for Tyrod Taylor, right? Tyrod Taylor is probably Brian Dable's guy, and if Daniel Jones doesn't look good, then he gets benched. Well, here's the thing. You're spending, what is this, a 15th round pick on Daniel Jones, 14th round pick on Daniel Jones. Yeah, 1409. Okay, no harm, no foul. Boom, you cut him. You just stream another quarterback. It's really not a big deal with these quarterbacks. I just think that early on, the two guys that I like to be those breakout candidates is Justin Fields and Daniel Jones. Now, an old, an old teammate of Daniel Jones, we have Evan Ingram, who goes at the 15-12 at the tight end 23. We're getting deep here. I don't know. I never really made it clear, but each, every one of these guys is going to get deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, Ingram goes at the tight end 23. And I will never not believe in Evan Ingram. This is a guy who runs a 4-4 as a tight end. He was a top five tight end in points per game as a rookie with Eli Manning. Then he followed that up with two tight end seven seasons, 2018-2019. But he hasn't been relevant since. So 2020 and 2021 were pretty disappointing to him. And I like his new situation this year where 
he's never been a blocking tight end. He's going to run routes. And he is on a team where we talked about when we talked about the tight end tier list and we brought up Andrew Cooper's article. He's a great follow on Twitter. I want to say his I want to say his Twitter handle is like a play on Lupe Fiasco and it's like Cooper Fiasco or Coupe Fiasco, something like that. But he talks about I think like every top five tight end season since like 04 or 07 or something, either the tight ends had 10 or more receiving touchdowns or they were a top two target on their team. I think Evan Ingram is drawing live to be a top two target on a team that has in terms of pass catcher you're talking about. I mean, I guess like ETN is drawing live to lead the team in targets. Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, LaVisca Chenault, really nothing there. So I think that you're getting a ton of upside, a guy who has a ton of speed, can even play slot or out wide as a tight end. I just think that Doug Peterson in this offense, if Trevor Lawrence takes a step forward, there's a lot of upside there for Evan Ingram, and you're getting him basically for free. After that, we'll talk about Will Fuller, who I still I still can't change to William Fuller. I don't know I don't understand why like Robbie's got to change to IE and you got Kenny Kenneth Walker going from Kenneth Walker to Ken Walker. It's just it's it's getting out of control. Uh, but with Will Fuller, he's going at the sixteen twelve as the wide receiver eighty two. It's a similar thesis to why we were drafting Julio Jones earlier in this offseason. Julio Jones signs with the Bucks on July twenty six. Since July twenty six, his ADP on underdog has skyrocketed seventy six picks most among any player over that time span. Now, a funny note, a player that has skyrocketed 72 picks since then, Romeo Dupes, who we talked about with KJ Hamler in our late round wide receiver video. Now, we didn't mention him today because I think that Romeo Dupes' price has kind of gotten to a point where I'm, I'm cool on that. He's, like, he's now like a 14th round pick, 13th round pick. I'd rather take you know the Wondell Robinsons in that area. But back to Will Fuller. This is what happens the minute he's tying somewhere. If it's a high-powered offense like Dallas, even better. He is somebody where you can take him in the 16th round, and then the minute he gets signed that next week, he'll be going 10th, 11th, 12th round. So it's just kind of a closing line value type thesis here where you draft him here, get him signed on a new team. If he doesn't sign with a new team, you drafted him in the 16th round, you can simply just cut him. It's a little bit of a different uh, equation in best ball where you're now just taking zeros for the entire season, but I think that he's even a better pick in redraft manage where you can just cut him if he never gets signed. And... We know what Fuller is. I don't really have to go into that. He's this boom-bust deep threat with injury problems. I think it's pretty easy to narrow in on the upside at the draft cost of a 16th round pick. You don't need him to be a world beater. You just need a couple spike weeks and a decent landing spot. Next guy we'll talk about here, Eno Benjamin. And I haven't talked about this guy all offseason. And I wanted to give you guys some new familiar faces for this, I guess the next, the last three guys are all going to be zero RB targets. And we did a video earlier on in the offseason where I talked about all my zero RB targets. So I wanted to talk about guys I didn't mention in that one, like earlier, like Khalil Herbert, Kenneth Gainwell, I didn't mention in that video. Let's also mention Eno Benjamin, who was this fun pass catching prospect coming out of Arizona State, sort of like a, like a less athletic Duke Johnson is kind of how I would say his profile was uh, prolific, caught passes, which just was interesting. Didn't test great though. Now, this is why I'm starting to like Eno Benjamin, because originally I was sort of on the idea that last year we saw a game, we saw a couple games where Chase Edmonds was out, James Conner played, and Eno Benjamin didn't get any run at all. It was solely the James Conner show, so I was pretty much operating under the assumption that Eno Benjamin wasn't going to be a factor at all this year for fantasy. Uh, you know, probably Darrell Williams as the backup, and then Keontae Ingram versus Eno Benjamin for that RB3 spot. But we're getting some interesting reports out of camp right now where Blake Allen Murphy, I believe, is a beat writer for the Cardinals. And he said, Eno Benjamin is likely a lock for the RB2 spot, but Rondell might limit some targets. 
can't wait to see what increment a year looks like. Then Adam Koffler asked him a question where he's like, if you say Eno is a lock for RB2, whatever, whatever. Blake Allen says, right now, more likely that you see Eno in the 2020 Chase Edmonds change of pace slash third down back roll when the RB1 was Kenyon Drake. Feels like Williams is battling with Ward and Keontae Ingram, but I think he'd be the clear leader for RB3 right now, maybe part of RBBC if Connor gets hurt. And this is interesting info from a Cardinals beat reporter because the entire offseason, we've been under the assumption that Darrell Williams is going to be the RB2 not Eno Benjamin. Now, I, I don't think that it is a foregone conclusion based off that report. We just had a preseason game where Eno Benjamin was playing with the starters, but James Conner and uh, Darrell Williams were resting. So that would sort of lead you to believe that he's ahead on the depth chart. But if you look at websites and stuff, Eno Benjamin's on the depth chart. I think they're both drawing live. I would say it's about 50-50. And it's an interesting spot because we're at least getting info now that I don't think that Conner is going to be... I was originally thinking that James Conner would be in that role where we saw last year... Edmonds went down. James Conner was a, not only the lead back, but like a bell cow, getting all the targets, all the carries, everything. I don't think that they're going to want to run Conner into the ground like that. So I think they're going to do a similar James Conner, Chase Edmonds type split. It's just going to come down to whether that's Darrell Williams or Eno Benjamin. I think both guys are in a spot to smash on ADP. Eno Benjamin is the cheaper, right, uh, cheaper option right now. So I'll go with Eno Benjamin. After that, we got Jarek McKinnon who's going off the board at the 1801 as the RB63. And there was, a, uh, there was an article that came out today where the Athletic projected the 53-man roster for the Chiefs. I think it was the Athletics. Whoever the Athletic beat reporter for the Chiefs is made this article, and he projected the three running backs make the, the 53-man roster as Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Isaiah Pacheco, and Jarek McKinnon. Let me get a little bit of water break here, fellas. Come on. I'm out here playing hurt. I, I, I deserve a water break. <laughs> um, but they're saying it's going to be CEH, Pacheco, and McKinnon. Right now, obviously, CEH is going to make the team. Pacheco has been this weird story where <clears throat> he's a lock to make the roster as the kick returner, punt returner guy. So he's going to be in the running back room. You're going to have CEH as a lead guy, which opens one more running back spot. Most teams only want to carry three or four running backs and they'll only have three running backs active on game days. So right now, it seems like on game days, we're going to have CEH, Pacheco for special teams, uh, probably like Mixon, and then you have McKinnon, who will be the long down and distance two-minute drill guy. Now, obviously, Ronald Jones can make the team. That throws a wrench into some things. Same thing with Derek Gore. I know Pacheco has a lot of hype. His price is getting a little bit insane right now. I think, what, McKinnon goes at pick 205. I think Pacheco, last I checked, was going like around like pick 160. At this point... Maybe it's better late than never, but it does feel like his price has gotten to a spot where I'm good. I'd rather take the cheaper option like Jarek McKinnon, where McKinnon is in this interesting role where he is going to be the pass-catching guy, right? So long down and distance, two-minute drill. And he's going to be essentially in this offense, kind of like a Naeem Hines, J.D. McKissick type. Obviously, that's not priced in at an 18th round pick. And then on top of that, he's the upside where if CH goes down, he's drawing live to be the handcuff not Isaiah Pacheco. I'd say they're both about evenly in terms of likelihood to take on that lead role if CH went down. But for that reason, on the league's like best offense or one of the best offenses with the Chiefs, they're going to be top five in pass attempts, touchdowns, all that good stuff. McKinnon is a great upside swing to take on that backfield. Then we have our last sleeper for today. I did not mean to go 40 minutes, fellas. Jeez. We have Chris Evans going off the board at the 1808 as the RB67 
pretty much free, and he slipped a little bit here because there's been some conflicting reports where early on in camp it was like he's going to be the RB2 on the depth chart behind Mixon. Now it's looking like it's going to be Pirine. I still want to bet on Chris Evans. He's cheaper now, and he is this really explosive profile where he's coming out of Michigan, can catch passes, he's athletic, he's electric in the receiving game, which is huge because the main role for the RB2 recently on this Bengals team with Zach Taylor, what Samaj P. Ryan has been doing, is catching passes. And I've talked about it a million times, but it makes my blood boil because if you look back to Oklahoma, Joe Mixon as a prospect, I'm telling you guys, if you look back to the, the game logs, the box scores, the analytics, as a prospect, Mixon is up there in terms of receiving prowess as a prospect with guys like Kamara, DeAndre Swift, any pass catching back you want to name out there, he goes toe-to-toe with them in receiving yard market share in college where he was this, I would almost call him Alvin Kamara to uh, Samaje P. Ryan's Mark Ingram in school, right? They, they both played at Oklahoma. But you look at last year, and Mixon was the grinder between the tackles like Mark Ingram. I'm not going to call Samaje P. Ryan Kamara, but Samaje P. Ryan was out there in two-minute drills, in long down and distance, and playing as the pass-catching back when that's not even his role, really. So I think Chris Evans, if, if they want to keep Mixon as not the pass-catching back, back, I think it makes a lot more sense to have Chris Evans as that satellite-type back. I think that that's what they're going to be looking into this offseason. And he was electric in the receiving game last year. Chris Evans, now this is on a small sample, only like 17 targets, but of running backs with over, I think, like 10 targets I did, he was fourth in receiving grade among running backs, which is really crazy, and he was top five in both slot percentage and wide percentage. So he was not only playing in the backfield catching passes, but he was out there in the slot, out there out wide. And that tells us that he is a really good receiving talent. But not only that, the Bengals don't really have a wide receiver four right now where I kind of wish they still had Auden Tate. I think that would be fun. But after Tyler Boyd, there's really nothing on this depth chart. So Chris Evans is out there. He can be this sort of like gadgety slot guy. He can go out there, just be a a standard satellite uh, running back. I think it makes a lot of sense where Chris Evans is going to come in and be this electric playmaker to sort of spell Joe Mixon. That's kind of the, the story you have to tell yourself. Again, this is an 18th round pick. If, you're, if it's a home league, you can just cut him. But he does have upside as this fun receiving option in this offense and then also a fun handcuff in a high-scoring offense where if Mixon was to go down and Chris Evans was the RB2 in the depth chart, he would be a top 12 to 15 option in that scenario. Now, that's going to do it for us today, fellas. As always... If you enjoyed the video, make sure down below, subscribe, leave a like. I also want to say one more time, if you haven't checked out Underdog Fantasy, make sure you do so. I'll have it in the description. I'll have it down below in the comments. You click the link, it'll bring you there with my promo code already typed in. They will match your deposit up to $100 when you use promo code RON. I'm telling you guys, the biggest edge you can get right now is hopping in there, testing out their ADP, just getting a feel for it, whether that's in a $5 sit-and-go draft or that's in the big best ball mania three tournament where you get a chance to win millions of dollars. All of that is amazing on Underdog. I'm sure that they're going to have some more cool contests. We've already seen a Pomeranian. We've seen a Puppy recently. I think we're going to get something here soon. It's been a little bit too quiet. So make sure you check that out. We say it all the time. But best way to get experience, get a feel for the ADPs, to go out there and crush your home leagues. I know uh, the Stock Exchange boys say it all the time. But it really is, you know, sparring with Muhammad Ali and then going into a boxing match with some random at LA fitness. I don't know. That's the best, the best, uh, it's not rhetorical. What am I trying to say? The best, uh, metaphor. 
I don't know. You guys get what I'm saying, but that's going to do it for us today. I did not mean for that to go 40-something minutes, man. I did not mean for that to happen. As you guys know, I'm sick, and I've been trying to do easy videos. This was supposed to be an easy video, but ended up rambling a ton. Whatever. As always, I will see you guys in the next one. I got the juice. I got the juice. Channel, on. Foolies glad I'm on. Even my haters kind of glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag up on. Rapper, song, singer, suspended subpoena from Mr. Meaner.